10, it says, Behold, I come in the volume of the book. Now, what he means by that is quite simple. I didn't come in some of it. That every page, every chapter tells me about Jesus. I'm absolutely convinced of it. And to be honest, it's been rather simple to find it, hasn't it? As we're now in this book of Leviticus, we are now in a place where if we, if we ended last week, the sort of title of it, not that I title everything, is So You Want to Be a Priest. As we looked at now God ordaining Aaron, he's now, we're in this place where this one year, this one month period, remember that the book of Leviticus is one month long. We're about a year into it from the time that Israel has left Egypt, and we are now at Mount Sinai. And we've been gone from Egypt for about a year, which makes now Moses 81, and that makes his brother Aaron 84. God now says in all of this, sanctuary, a tabernacle, as he's sort of laid out the law for them, now it is time to start inaugurating the priesthood. Now, the problem is we look at this, by the way, and let me say this as I would any week. Please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. The Bible is always going to be the authority here. Is that in this chapter, as we look at this now, God is already going to tell us by the time we get to Revelation that he's made us kings and priests. And that is really important to recognize that the role of a priest is something that the Lord lays out for all of us. And the role of the, of the priest is quite simple. We represent God to man and man to God. It's just that simple. So in the first part of this, if you remember, and this is kind of the fun of it, is that Moses has to take, he's 81, has to take his 84-year-old brother, and, and he brings it with this little sort of shopping basket full of things. He's got three animals, he's got an ox, and he's got two rams. He's got some bread, he's got some anointing oil, and he's got some brand new clothes specifically made for these priests. And as all this is the case, he gets these, and then he calls all the congregation, these two million people are all standing there, and as they're standing there, Moses stands next to his brother, and the first thing he says, do you remember what it was? Is, I want you to remember, God told me to do this. Before we even get, before we start, I recognize this is kind of weird, and because it's kind of weird, I just want you to know, God told me to do this before I do this. And then you kind of get the idea already it's going to be kind of fun. Then Moses has to wash his brother in front of everyone. And I, and I mean, we don't know how exactly how far he had to get down on this thing as far as his clothing, but in regardless of whatever it was, it's humbling for a guy to wash another guy anyways. Nonetheless, his brother, nonetheless in front of two million people. And then after he washes him, he clothes him, which tells us that the guy wasn't fully garbed when he was, when he was being washed. And he gives him his, cre- his priestly clothes, and he puts his priestly clothes on him. And as he does then, he begins, he, he then crowns him. He puts all of these clothes and puts this crown specifically on his head that says, Holiness unto the Lord. And as he does that then, he begins to consecrate him. And that's where we left off last time. And the idea, quite simply, is as a priest, as God calls you to that role of representing him to man, and bringing the heart of man or the concerns of man to God in intercession. You cannot cleanse yourself. You cannot clothe yourself. And you cannot crown yourself to be the priest God calls you to be. Because if you do those things, you are a self-made priest. And the self-made priest is not a God priest. And God wants us to recognize he's got to do that. He's got to cleanse you. And here's the difference, and please hear me, between anything that man does and anything that God does. Anything that man does, he has to keep doing over and over because it's temporary. So if you cleanse yourself, you're going to have to cleanse yourself again. But when God cleanses you, it's once and for all. That's the beauty of the blood of Jesus. 
when God clothes you in His grace, in His, in His love, and by the way, in, we're told we're clothed in Christ, it's done once and for all. And that's the beauty of this. We become then, in essence, God's jersey in His strangest ways. He puts us on as He closes us in Him, clothes us in Him. Now there is going to be a day when God will crown us, but even here, God elevates us and puts us into the place where He wants us. But the question is, what does it mean to be consecrated now as we start to look at this? Now understand, to be consecrated in this sense is to be, the word consecrate, for, its worth, for what it's worth, is the word that simply means to be set apart. Now, set apart means many different things. Someone could be set apart quite simply because they're weird. Now what's interesting is, we've heard the joke in Camden, you want to be weird in Camden? Be normal. What makes you set apart is you're the one person that doesn't have 50 piercings, doesn't have 104 tattoos, and doesn't have your whole body clad in leather. But you can if you want to. But please hear me. That's not the set apart here. Because there's a difference between just being unique or being different. By the way, that word, kadoshim, means holy. That's, the, that's what all holy, word, holy means, is weird. And God is, can, let's be honest, and I don't mean no disrespect, God is the weirdest being in all of the universe. And what I mean by that is he's different from everyone. He, that doesn't mean he's running around with tin, you know, aluminum, aluminum foil on his head, you know, trying to protect himself from gamma rays. And God is so different because he's not like any other being on the planet. We're vindictive, we keep score, we're angry, we're sinful. He's not. We forgive up to a point, he doesn't. He forgives infinitely. He's patient when we're not. He's in, the one who has all power and all majesty is still all humble. We have little power, tiny majesty, and we're all full of ourselves. Do you see the difference? But when this particular consecration is being spoken, if it's not just being, let's just be weird, let's be different, but please understand, God is setting you apart on disservice. Because to be set apart for service, God is to set you apart. Now please hear me, from the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, if you have, and let me make clear what that means. We all start off in the same place. We are sinners bound for hell. That's where this starts. We are by nature children of wrath, and we are spiritually stillborn. God does not say we were born spiritually alive, but rather spiritually dead. And God has to make us alive. Only the one who has the power over life and death can take a dead thing and make it alive. That's why we can't. And with that, God in his infinite love knows that to balance everything as a righteous judge, all wrong must be punished. And we, though dead, have committed tremendous trespass. And that must be punished. And God, in his infinite love for us, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that every punishment necessary could be administered upon him for our sins. How do we know it was enough? The same way that on any day that Yom Kippur was done every year, when the high priest went in to offer sacrifice for the people, it's quite simple. He simply came out alive again. If he came out alive again, you know that something good had just happened. The sacrifice was accepted. Jesus took our sin to the cross. He took our punishment to the grave. And we know it was accepted because he came out alive again, just like God had promised. Now please hear me. If you have accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, and if you're not sure, you, go, you have the opportunity to walk out of here sure today. I'm going to give you that choice. If you have accepted that gift, the moment that you believed in him, according to Ephesians 1.13, God placed his Holy Spirit inside of you as a guarantee that you're his. 
He wrote that to the Ephesians, and that's a great place to be because the Ephesians knew that they were a port city. They're on the west coast of Turkey. And when you ordered something from somewhere else, you put your seal that either was either on a ring or on, an, on that you wore as an amulet. You know, we see that we put it in the wax. And that seal guaranteed that when you bought something and it showed up there at, you know, at the shore of Ephesus, if it had your seal, it was guaranteed to be yours. All you had to do was show it and say, that's got my seal. Clearly, I can redeem it. The closest thing we have to that today, to be honest, is, for instance, if any of you have gone to Five Guys, you know, over in Covent Garden, or one of those places where you order food and they give you a receipt and it says at the bottom, it happens at McDonald's too, where it says your number 41. And, they go, and then they'll go like, all right, uh, number 41. And you can't just go, hi, I'm 41. They're like, show me the receipt, right? Because anyone could say they're number 41. But when you show the receipt, you get your food. That's the promise. That's the season. Look at, I've got it here. That's the promise that you're going to be able to redeem that thing you paid for. Well, listen to this. It says, having believed the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked with this, the Holy Spirit of promise. That is the seal, the guarantee of your inheritance to the promise of the purchase possession. The idea of it's to the redemption of that purchase possession. And every Ephesian understood that, as we should too. See, when we stand before the shores of heaven, it's clear that we belong to him because we have his seal the moment we believed he placed his Holy Spirit inside of us. So if you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ and he's placed his Holy Spirit inside of you, you need to know that his Holy Spirit is a person. It is not just a little stamp. And as he is a person, he began working. But here's the fun part. Do you know what he began doing in your life? He began setting you apart. Around, in in essence, you are the only living thing in the morgue. God, the God of life, lives inside of you. And as the God of life lives inside of you, everything changes. Now, all of a sudden, that life starts to manifest in you through you, and as it does, you're going to look different from the rest of the world. The craziest thing, though, is that somewhere in some of the Christian culture, though the Holy Spirit's trying to make us different, we're busy trying to look like the rest of the world. In other words, we are fighting the very work that God's doing in our lives. How sad is that? God's trying to make us different. We're trying to make ourselves the same. Now, here it is. We're in the morgue. We're the only thing animated. And all of a sudden, we look around and we see everything's laying there dead. And we're like, "Uh, uh." because at least that way, I don't, you know, I'll I'll blend in with everyone else. Really? Is that what you want? That's like walking into a hospital and feeling peer pressure to be, to have a noxious disease. Well, everybody else seems to be dying of something. It's like walking into a hospice and going, boy, I wish I had AIDS. Really? Wouldn't you rather administer the cure? So understand the idea of consecrating is to set you apart, but ultimately it's setting you apart so you could take that very life that God placed in you and invest that life into other people as well. To use you to be more than just something to hang up on a wall in a museum, but rather use you to be a transformer and a changer of the world around you. You get to be a tool, the evidence that God wants to use. So understand here as God starts to minister to these people, as he starts to raise up, think about it, Moses raises up his brother Aaron The guy, by the way, who was dancing around a golden calf not that long ago. And yet in all of that, God knew even in that failure, God would restore him to a place of service. I think that's a pretty radical thing. Have you ever thought God couldn't possibly use me because of look at how I've done something stupid in my life? Do you really think that God didn't know you were going to do that? 
Do you ever think that God went, oh, wait a minute, what was I thinking? Oh, you, oh, now that I see you did that. You're talking about a God who knows everything. So all of a sudden, now there's this time of consecration. And the consecration works quite simply like this. There's going to be some animals that are going to be sacrificed. The cool thing is, because we've already read the first seven chapters, we already know about five very distinct sacrifices, if you remember. There was the burnt sacrifice where everything was completely consumed. And the idea of that was total surrender. That was the idea, if you remember. There was the grain offering, and the grain offering was that that spoke about God's fruitfulness, how God brings fruitfulness in our life. There was the peace offering where two things that were enemies are now at peace with each other. And when they did that, they had a feast together to show the world that they were now united. And do you remember the one thing that was focused on in regards to the peace offering? The one word that was repeated more than any other, and what was actually sacrificed or burned on the altar? Fat, 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 fat. Do you remember that? God was like, and burn the fat and take the fat and burn the fat and take that other fat and burn it and burn that fat. And oh, and that fat that's over there, take that and burn that fat too. You got the idea the word was like fat, fat, fat. And I get the idea of that, that God says, let's burn the fat when you guys are going to be together and have this peace offering. And then there was the sin offering. If you remember, the, the focus on the sin offering is that it was burned outside the camp, which prepared us for Jesus who had to be crucified outside of the, sta- of the walls of Jerusalem because a perfect sin offering had to be sacrificed outside of the camp. And then the trespass offering. Are you with me so far? Well, now there's going to be these sacrifices, these three animals sacrificed, and then a handful of commandments at the end in regards to what to do to follow through. Follow it with me now as we take a look at it. Because here's the idea, as where our first week in So You Want to Be a Priest was what Moses did, or what God, in this case, does to us. Now we start to see what it means to be consecrated for service. So this is, So You Want to Be a Priest, part two, consecrated for service. And this is what we read. We pick it up today. <clears throat> Excuse me. In verse 10. Also, Moses took the anointing oil and he anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it. Are you following me? Are you with me? Okay. And he consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointed the altar and all its utensils and the laver in its base to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. He begins to consecrate. Then Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them, girded them with sashes, and put hats on them as the Lord had commanded Moses. The first thing before he actually brings the offerings is this. And this is one of the things that's going to set you apart. So for this to happen, we need a priest. Let's take Andrew for the moment. Hey, look at that. You get to be a priest. You get to be my older brother. How's that? You get to be 84. Okay. All right, here we go. We're going to go in. We're going to consecrate him for service. And here's the first thing that's happened. Now, I'm not going to wash you, and I'm not going to clothe you or crown you. Okay? I'm sorry you're so sad about that. (laughs) Deborah, you can talk to each other later. But what we read is that he goes and he takes some oil and he's going to pour it on Aaron. The question is, exactly how far does he go with that? And we don't read that he poured all of it. He poured some of it. So how much was some? Listen to this. That is Psalm 133. That's how it begins. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brothers to dwell together in unity. We saw some of that over the last couple days, didn't we? And then it said, it is like the oil that runs off of Aaron's beard, off the hem of his garment. 
Now, where is the hem of his garment? First of all, you kind of get the idea where his beard is, right? Now, now, exactly how long do you think Aaron's beard is? Exactly how long do you think that Aaron's been not shaving? I'm going to go with pretty much life, you know. I mean, so, I mean, Aaron's, at this point, Aaron's looking a little bit like a duck hunter from Duck Dynasty, you know. I mean, when he looks down like this, it's like he could itch his whole chest, you know, just by going like that. So he's got this big, long beard hanging down here. Where's the hem of his garment? It's down here. Remember that special garment with the little dingle balls and berries and all this stuff that hang on at the bottom? So when he pours oil on this guy, exactly how much oil do you think this guy poured? I would say quite enough. Enough for it to drip all the way off his beard and all the way down to the hem of his garment. Are you with me so far? Now I'd like you to consider a couple things. One, I, I don't know if you know this. We do this with every time we anoint a pastor. When we actually you know, consecrate a pastor for service, we cover them in oil. We, we let their wives know. We usually don't let them know. <laughs> so, so they could bring a change of clothes. And one of the things we discovered, by the way, is oil actually burns your eyes. I, I didn't know that. So, um, so from this point on, we say, close your eyes. <laughs> so, but when, when you do, it's like, it takes, have you ever seen those kind of, they're kind of the big tins that they use in Italian restaurants? It takes a whole one of those to get to the, because we don't want to stop until it gets to the hem of his garment. That's kind of the idea here. So we have him take off his shoes, because some shoes could be ruined by that much olive oil. And we pour this on them, and as it comes off of it, it drips really fun. It looks kind of like a candle when it's melting, if you get the idea. And it's like amazing how hard it takes. I mean, you have to keep going. I mean, the first time we did that, we're like, really? We're checking? Okay, we're pouring. Really? Did we get enough? You know, and we're pouring. I mean, imagine how much you're pouring of this olive oil on it. Now, that's kind of fun in itself. But let me say the first thing in regards to us being consecrated is the anointing. Now we have, that's a really fun word. And that's a buzz word in some churches. It's like some things are anointed. It's like, ooh, that salad was anointed. Well, I'm not too sure a salad could be, well, you could anoint that with olive oil, I guess. That makes sense. But what anointed man, and we know that from, from the book of 1 John, it tells us that the anointing you've received, being God's Holy Spirit being poured upon you. But please hear me on this. God is going to set this man apart from every other person that's there. Of the two million people that are there, this is the one guy that made the cut. And you wouldn't have thought this guy qualified for high priest because this guy was dancing around naked not that long ago around a golden calf. And then telling his brother, I don't know, we stuck gold in the fire, out came this golden calf. You know, it's like, this is the guy that's going to be your, your high priest. But by this point, God's going to show up. But here's the thing. We're in the middle of the hot, hot sun. There in Arabia, it's 37 degrees outside, not a cloud in the sky except one. That's a pillar. And when Moses pours oil on this man's head, what does Aaron start to look like? He starts to glow. This guy reflects the sun like nobody else there. It's pretty easy to find out who your high priest was. Look for Mr. Glowy Guy. Well, there was one other guy that was kind of radiating some light too. Do you remember who that would be? Moses, remember how his face was shining? Now you'd start to think it's all in the family, isn't it? There's like Mr. Shiny Face and Mr. Glowy everything, right? But can I say that when God speaks about the unity of men, he says, this is what it looks like. It looks like the world looks and goes, there it is. That's different. Do you see what I'm saying? And this was the beginning of it. Thank you. 
the beginning of this with this consecration, what God wants to do to consecrate us is he wants to anoint us. Now, can I just say again, you can't anoint yourself. This is what God has to do. Here's the good news. He actually loves to. God loves to, but what he doesn't want to do is put the spotlight on you for you to actually take the spotlight and put it on you. When God anoints you, it is so that he can get the glory. An 84-year-old man being the first high priest, you think, how long is this guy going to live? He's not going to make it out of the desert. But he's going to be our first leader in regards to this. Now listen, tonight, we haven't gone that long yet, have we? (laughs) Can I just say that what I would like to pray for every one of us is that God anoint us, but first, before he does that, that God would cleanse us, that God would clothe us, he would crown us the way he wants to so that we could actually follow his lead. See, the thing is, is that within some circles, the reason we want the anointing is so that people think we're awesome. Let's be honest. Do you really think that's why God would want to anoint us is so that we think we're awesome for, by other people? Uh, to be honest, you should think you're awesome because of the cross. I mean, you're so awesome that God would rather die than live without you. How much more awesome can you be than that? Do you really think that some spiritual gift is going to be needed so that someone else can show, you can show everyone else how awesome you are? Do you think God's going to take a vote when this thing is over? What God really wants are people that are really willing to stand there in humility. I mean, let's face it, it's pretty humbling to be washed in front of everyone. Now, I'm not suggesting in any way that you start bathing in front of other people. (laughs) It's not what I'm saying here. I think that discretion is a very wise thing. But can I say from God's perspective, what he really wants is he wants the world to know that you didn't cleanse yourself and thus you didn't anoint yourself. That's so key. Because otherwise, and I tell you what, I've seen guys on TV that say, look at, I told God, if you don't come down here and give me your power, I'm going to go up there and get it myself. (laughs) And I'm thinking, man, could you imagine? I could think God saying, come on, Junior, come on up here. Let's have a talk. And I'm thinking, and, and people, when people hear that, they go, why didn't God blast that guy out of the sky right there? I'm like, because he wants him to repent. Because he even loves that numbskull. And for some of us, we realize, well, if God would be patient with that person, he's probably patient with me. Hello, you're here. It starts with this anointing. Well, with that in mind then, after that, he starts to do these sacrifices. Look at verse 14. And he brought the bull of the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull as a sin offering. Can can I ask you, why did they lay their hands on the head? What are they going to do? Excellent. They're going to confess their sins. Remember, the idea is that you confess your sins upon an innocent being, and that innocent being died for you. That's the sort of, that's that's the system God set up. So how, it's almost impossible for anyone who believes the Torah. I don't, I don't get how you couldn't tell you, well, Jesus, who is perfect, you lay your hands on him, you confess your sins on him, and he takes your sins. I don't get how you don't get that. Because you had been practicing that for 1,400 years before the temple was destroyed. Well, hear me in this. So they lay their hands on it. Now, this is, Moses, this is Aaron in a sense. Could you imagine? You're confessing your sins in front of everyone here. Moses killed it. He took the blood and he put some of the horns on the altar. With, around with his finger, so he did a little finger painting. Purified the altar. He poured the blood at the base of the altar, consecrated it to make atonement for it. Then he took the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys with their fat. You kind of get a little hint of something there. Peace offering. 
And Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull, its hide, its flesh, it's awful. Does anyone remember what the awful is again? It's the waste. That's why they call it awful. Um, and he burned it on the fire outside the camp. Now, what, what sacrifice is burned outside the camp? The sin offering. Excellent. So there you go. As the Lord had commanded Moses. So the first one of these was a sacrifice for a sinner. And as a priest, you better know you're still a sinner. You need to recognize that because the Bible even says when we speak to those and we try to rescue those, even from the flames, it says you better check yourself lest you also be tempted. You need to recognize it's so easy to find the plank that you think is in someone else's eye that's actually a speck but not see the one that's in yours. And it's so easy to think of everyone else as a sinner and what's wrong. If the whole world is messed up and you're not, you might want to recheck that. Although the whole world is messed up. We just are too. But praise God, God saves sinners. And if we try to present ourselves as anything but a saved sinner, then how do we present Jesus as the Savior of sinners to others? Now, so the animal has been killed. By the way, an ox you're probably aware of was basically your tractor of the day. Then, verse 18, our second of the three sacrifices. He brought the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of this ram. Why did they do that? To confess their sins again? Do you think you need to be reminded? Ladies, some of you know, sometimes men need to be told more than once. Moses killed it. He sprinkled the blood all around the altar, and he cut the ram into pieces. Moses burnt the head, the pieces, and the fat. And he washed the entrails of the legs of water. Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. Which one is totally burnt completely? It's the burnt sacrifice. Remember the one of total surrender? It was the burnt sacrifice for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. The first thing in these three sacrifices was that of recognizing you're a sinner. The second is the necessity of recognizing, recognizing the need for surrender. Because isn't that what happens on a burnt sacrifice? The whole thing is consumed. And in the same way, we say, Lord, take all of me. Did we not sing that but three different times? Now, we sing that for purpose. Because the whole idea of this is we really want to be used by God. We cannot say, Lord, take the parts I don't like. You need to take it all and reinvent me from the ground up. Then he does this really fun thing. And I want to remind you, Moses had warned the people, I want to warn you, God told me to do this. And now he has to do this fun thing with the third one. Look at verse 22. And he brought the second ram, the ram of consecration. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of this ram. They've laid their heads on all three animals. Moses killed it. He took some of its blood and he put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear the thumb of his right hand, and the big toe of his right foot. And then he brought Aaron's sons. And Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of the right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood all around the altar. Okay, so now we have our next fun little event. So we've killed some animals, but now we have to take our priest again. Thank you. It's like aerobics for you today. All right. And this is what he's got to do. He's got to kill an animal. Now, I don't have any record anywhere that Aaron is told ahead of time this is going to happen, that he's got the handbook here. I'm not, maybe he does. But Moses has got to take some of that blood, and he starts going towards his face with it. What would you think? Now, remember this guy. He's already covered in oil. So he's already oily. So it would be, if he started to run away, it would be hard for me to catch him. Let's be honest. And so I've got some, I'm dipping my hand in the blood with, with the blood, and then I'm going to go on his ear. And I'm like, all right, let me see your hand. 
no. Put it right down. And then I've got to go down and I've got to get your big toe. Right here. And you go, what in the world was that? Now, two, two million people probably going, that's it, Moses has gone crazy. Senile. Moses, we need to take Moses to Sunny Acres. But consider this. That God knows what he's doing. And here's the part that I want you to realize. This is how serious this is for God. If you're going to be the priest God calls you to be, everything you hear needs to be washed in the blood. You get it? It is amazing to me how some people can listen to things, and I'm not just talking about things that are just kind of gross or stupid, but I mean things that are just blasphemous, but they'll say it's got a good beat. It's not washed in the blood. It shouldn't get through this ear. Does that make sense? But it's not just that. It's your thumb. That's everything you hold on to, everything you reach for, and everything you do should be covered in the blood. And you're like, well, wait a minute. You mean God like wants to take over everything? Duh, what was that whole total sacrifice thing? Do you remember that? Did you miss the burnt offering? If you missed the burnt offering, well, then this stuff is like, wow, what does God really want? How about everything? Let me ask you this. What did God give us first? I think the most beautiful part about this is that Moses is going to do everything first before Aaron does it so that Aaron knows he doesn't get to do it first. Someone did it for him first so that he could do it later to follow. Does that make sense? Can I say, someone did it for you first so you could do it later to follow. God never said, do this, but make it up as you go along. He says, I did it for you first. And now you're supposed to represent me. Follow the way I did it. So I want your hand. I want that thumb. Because without that thumb, you can't hold anything. That's why God gave us opposable thumbs. He's like, everything you hold on to, I want washed in the blood. Everything you reach for, I want washed in the blood. And everything you do, I want washed in the blood. Does that make sense? Well, then there's one left. Every place you go. I want every place you go to be washed in the blood. But what if I go someplace filthy? Well, then wash it in the blood. Bring the blood of Jesus to the place. The problem isn't, I'm afraid I can't go there. It's, you know, the problem is most people are like, I'm just going to go there. I'm just not going to bring the blood. It's like, no, look it. If you're the kind of, God calls you to the pubs or to the clubs, and look it, I'm not telling you yes or no. God's got to tell you that. But if he does, I would always say, don't go alone, and you better go with a clear mission statement and have someone hold you accountable. Don't just tell me, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to do a little bit of this, but I'm not going to, like, drink. And, like, someone's going to get saved because, oh, look at that guy's got, like, a holy thing going on. What, how, what must I do to be saved? Oh, just don't drink alcohol. Really? Really? And it's amazing how people think, that's, just, that's my ministry. Oh, really? Well, let me ask you, what's the fruit of your ministry so far? Hmm, well, I keep falling. Yeah, that's not that's neat fruit you've got going on there. I think you need to tear up that tree and start over. Okay, so understand, when God says this, when we're standing in front of two million people and I'm squashing his ear, and I'm squashing his thumb, and I'm squashing his toe, I'm going, now look at, if you're going to be a priest, know this. Thank you. Let me ask you. What about us? If we're honest with ourselves, are we really the priest God calls us to? Is there stuff we're like, mm, that, I'll wash that in the blood because people are around me when I'm listening to that. But then on the other hand, really? They're going, wait a minute, aren't you being legalistic? I'm actually just trying to call you to, to excellence. Could you imagine if a coach, an Olympic coach saw you and he said, Hugo, I think you could probably beat Usain Bolt. And wouldn't that be fun to watch? 
And there's Usain, he's like seven foot 25 or whatever, right? And there's like Hugo, and he kind of steps up, and he's like up to his hip, you know? And it's like, <laughs> Usain's like this, and Hugo's just like, whatever, he's just standing there, right? He's like, go, and all of a sudden Hugo's like, boom! And Usain's like, what, what, what just happened? And he says, you know what, I think you're going to need to try to start changing your diet. I think you're going to need to start really training, because if you're going to do something like this, you're going to have to go full at it. Can you imagine if he says, what kind of legalist are you to tell me all that? Who are you to tell me that? Can you imagine the, the, the coach would just look and go, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you wanted to be good at what you did. So is it really wrong for God to say, I really would actually like you guys to be awesome at this and not just be mediocre because you do not want a mediocre doctor. You don't want a dentist that says, you know, I just passed. And I wasn't really good at that filling thing. You're thinking, mmm, I don't know. What's it? He's just grabbing the drill and he's like, I hope this works. No, no, no. Oops and hope so are not things you want your doctor to say. You want him to be like the guy that's like the valedictorian, you know, that everyone else wished they could have been? Don't you want that in a doctor? Because he's working on you. Is that what we do but eternally? We're working on him. Should we really be in the prison? Goes, nah, I don't know. I'm just glad to go to heaven and I think I passed. Really? That's what we want? God says, look, if you're going to be a priest, let's start washing this up because I want to set you apart. And man, w- let's be honest. If there was one place that had a reputation for having awesome doctors, wouldn't everyone want to go there? I mean, in, in America, because there's still, well, there was when we left some free enterprise. I'm not sure on the whole healthcare thing now. But um, there, were, there were people who had a reputation for being amazing doctors. And people traveled, all, they flew from all over the world to go see those doctors because they were known for being great at what they did. Hey, please understand, as a pastor, my job isn't just to teach you the word, although I want to teach you the word. My job is to walk with you and for you to be able to see my family with me and to see I be, the way I behave with my children and my wife and the way that I treat you because all of that is part of what it means to be a pastor. But look at I have no interest in being a mediocre pastor and I have no interest in you being a mediocre fellowship. And I have no interest in the rest of the world looking at and going, well, I think we're a little bit better than the rest. The question is, are we like Jesus? He's our standard, and we're not going to get there. But if he's as good as it gets, I want to get as close as I can get. I don't want to look and say, well, that, by, that guy jumped this high. If I jump this high, I win. I'm like, I want to try to jump to the moon, because even if I can't get there, I'll get as close as I can get. I'll jump as high as I can. And I don't know if any of us really know what it's like to be that full on, but that's my heart for every one of us, and for me too and for my family. So when God starts talking about covering things in the blood, I'm like, here, here, bring it on. Wash it, and wash me. Wash my ears. Wash my hands. Wash my feet, because they've been in wrong places, and I don't want to go there without being right when I go there, without bringing the blood. Are you with me on this? Okay, well, then we get our last couple exhortations, because my prayer is, what if we really took this today and really took it to heart? What if we really did? And we walked out of here and said, you know what, God, make me that. What if he radically did the, what if he said yes? What if he actually took that seriously? As you might for that moment when you prayed it. What would he yank out of your life? What would he change? What would he pull? What would he reconfigure? Then you go, oh man, my whole life's being changed. Like you prayed that. Yeah, but I didn't think he'd change that horrible relationship I'm in. You didn't. I didn't think he would take, you know, he would pull me away from those friends. You didn't. Really? 
What do you think? Like you're going to wake up and be in Oz or something? Verse 25. He took the fat, fat tail, the fat that was on the entrails, a fatty lobe attached to the liver, two kidneys, and they're fat. Does this sound familiar to you? What does this start to sound like? What kind of offering? Peace offering. Remember that peace where it's like all the fat gets burned? And the right thing, listen to this. And the basket of unleavened bread, and the unleavened bread is from what offering? The grain offering, which speaks of God's fruitfulness. That was before the Lord. And listen, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread anointed with oil and one wafer. And listen to this. He put them on the fat, on the right thigh. Not of Aaron, of his sacrifice. And I get the idea here that when God wants real fruitfulness to be brought out, it comes over peace. When God brings peace among his people, fruitfulness bears forth on top of that. I think that's beautiful that he does it this way. So listen, if we can put it in the simplest sense, three things God, to, to consecrate, there was the anointing, the second was the atonement. The atonement was the blood. Do you see that there with those sacrifices? And then the third is adoration. Listen to verse 27. And he put these in Aaron's hands and in his son's hands, and he waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Now, how in the world does he do this? I want you to kind of get this. So come back here, priest, for a moment. But I need to get a couple more sons with me this time. Okay, so come over this way. This is one of your sons. So come on over here. That's perfect. You go. And while I add it, come on up. Can I borrow you for a second, Jim? Now, read this for a moment because we're almost done now. We're almost done. What is he going to put in their hands? Well, let's get you back a little bit. Yeah, what's he going to put in there? Some fat, some more fat, and some more fat. So he's like, let's get that on the fire with the bread, and let's burn that. Then I'm going to get this big old right thigh. And he'll hold on to that, you guys. And then he's going to go, no. And he waved it. How do you think he did this? He's like, all right, you guys. There you go. Is he like, he's like, this is the first wave that you see like at any football match. This is where it starts, right here. He's like, ready? Start with me. That's where this goes. Thanks, you guys. Have a seat. But please understand in this, you went from being, a, you went from being anointed to being atoned through those sacrifices to adoration. And by the way, can I just say, up to this point, everything has happened to you, hasn't it? You got washed, you got cleansed, you got clothed, you got crowned, you got covered, you got, you know, you got these animals. What is the first act? Look at this. What is the first act the priest does? He worships. What do you think this is? The first act the priest gets to do is worship. It's like the first thing he does is, like, now get to work. Now go ahead and kill some more things. Lay them on there. Hey, make sure it's the fat and the fatty tail and the fat. Make sure you get the fat fat. Get that on there. You know, oh, wait, 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 wait. Is that bread got frankincense on it? You know, it's like all of that stuff. He goes, no, 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 stop. If you're going to be a priest, start it there. Because if you don't start it there, man, does anyone ever want to see a pastor or a leader or someone go, oh, another day of work? Really? You know, it's like, look at, can I just say honestly, for the 20 five years or so that I've been doing this, I have never for a second not loved what I get to do. I adore what I get to do. But you know what? It starts with me lifting up that thigh myself. 
I'm saying, God, if I'm not completely yours, this isn't going to be fun. But, you know, like I wake up and, I, and you can ask my kids. I'm like, God, thanks that I get another day to serve you. It's because I get to wake up with a woman I'm in love with. It'll be 25 years next November. 25 years we've been married. I get to, and she's more beautiful today than she ever was before. She's more like Jesus today. I've got two beautiful children, and I get to, I'm like, I can't believe I get to wake up every day and be their dad. Now, there's some days I wake up, and I'm like, I can't believe I get to wake up, and you get to be their mom. But it's like, you know, <laughs> I still get to be their dad, you know. You know those moments when it's like, your daughter, you know you're in trouble, right? They never say that because they did something great. So let's close this up because there's some final concluding remarks here that I think we really need to learn from in regards to this adoration. He put all these in Aaron's hands, waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Verse 28. Moses took them from the hands and burned them on the altar. Burnt offering. They were consecration for a sweet aroma. By the way, 16 times in Leviticus we'll see the term sweet aroma. And all that means is, I mean, if you know guys when something barbecued, being barbecued, guys go, mmm. Or my wife walks by Starbucks and she goes, mmm. A sweet aroma is something you know pleases them. Can I just ask something? Have you ever done anything in your life that you knew just pleased the Father? Can I just say, we are the only religion on earth where we adore our God because we enjoy him. Are you aware of that? You do not find this elsewhere. And the reason is because why would you uh, why would you enjoy somebody that's just there to smite you? And they try to make our God look like that. Shame on us if we believe it. But you notice that once that sweet aroma goes forth, that now he gets to do the same. Moses jumps in on the worship. Moses took the breast and waved as a wave offering before the Lord. That's Moses' turn. And, Mo- and it was Moses' part of the ram of consecration as the Lord commanded Moses. And then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood that was on the altar, and now he sprinkles it on the boys. Now, he's already covered, so this has got to be symbolic. And the idea of it is, I just want to remind you, you're going to need this anointing over and over and over and over again. Don't ever go far from the anointing, and don't ever go far from the blood. Let everything you do be with those in him. On the garments of him, consecrated Aaron, the garments of his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. Now, Moses said to Aaron, boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and eat it there until the bread that is in the basket eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of consecration offering as they commanded. So Aaron and his sons shall eat it. So he goes, now guess what we get to do, boys? We get to eat. And I want you to eat until you can't eat no more. Can I say, that is one of the, that's pretty much one of the themes for the entire men's advance. It was eat until you can't eat no more. And whether that was food or whether that was the word, I watched it when we were in the word and every one of them's like, that little ticker that was full. They're just like, please stop, please stop. (laughs) And can I say, here's my three encouragements now as we've looked at this whole idea of of, um, anointing, of atonement and adoration. Here's my first of the three, stay full. God's like, look it, if you're going to be a priest, I want you to be full. I don't want you to be dwelling on empty here. I don't want you to be living on fumes. Because as a priest, I want you full. Now, that doesn't mean God wants you fat, unless it's with a PH. 
notice in verse 32 it says, and what remains of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn with fire. The second is stay current. Do not live on yesterday's bread. Stay full. Stay current. And then in verse 33 it says, and you shall not go outside the doors of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days until the days of your consecration are ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you. Now what if you have to go to the toilet? Still there. Now that you think, well, that's pretty desecrating. It's pretty profane. But God's like, look it, I do not want any part of your life outside of this tabernacle. You get it? There's no line where it's like, here's the secular, here's the sacred. I don't buy that. I don't buy that garbage. I don't buy that. I'm a musician, and this is my ministry, but this is my job. Hey, look at everything should reflect Jesus because you live in the tabernacle. You don't just go visit the tabernacle, and you need to, and here's the third, stay planted. Look at once I recognize that God, to set me apart, to consecrate me for service, has anointed me, has atoned for me, and then as we see, then I get to respond in adoration, and that, that sets me apart too. And God says, now that we've gotten that and you're going to be a priest, can I say this? Listen, stay full. Don't do this in your own flesh. Stay current. And then stay planted. It says, for what it's worth, in Psalm 92, 13, that those that are planted in the house of the Lord, listen, shall flourish in the courts of our God. So here it is where we go to prayer. So what happens? As it says, then they stayed there. At the door of the tabernacle, the meeting in day and night for seven days, kept charge of the Lord that you may not die. That's how serious this is. You want to go outside? I'll kill you and we'll start this whole thing all over again. So I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. Now listen. I find it interesting. That means you're going to spend a whole week before you actually become full-fledged priests to do your work. Does that make sense? Do you find it interesting? Do you remember when Jesus was crucified? What day did he enter into Jerusalem? We know it because we actually have it as a, as a celebration in a lot of traditional churches. Palm Sunday, right? It was the day we call Palm Sunday because they leave their palms on the ground. What day did Jesus resurrect from the dead? Sunday, one week later. Jesus went and spent one week in Jerusalem. Just like a priest here who spent one week in the tabernacle and then said, now it's time to be priest. Now it's time to really kick it into gear. Do you see what I'm saying? I think God did that on purpose. What do you think? Now look at it. As we go to prayer today, I just want to encourage you. If you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you that choice now. But if you have accepted that gift of Jesus Christ, can I say God is not setting you apart to hang you on a wall. He's setting you apart for service. Now I can't tell you what that's going to look like, but I can guarantee you this. You will represent man to God and God to man. That I guarantee you. How you're going to do that, that's God's job to tell you. But I do know this. He wants to set you apart for it. And the way he wants to set you apart is he wants to anoint you with his Holy Spirit. He's already atoned for you. And with that then, he would like you to respond in adoration. This is what I've learned. When you fall in love with Jesus, you find yourself doing what he's called you to. You don't have to have someone tell you what program you have to discover your spiritual gifts. My thing is fall in love with God. You'll find it happening supernaturally, naturally. And as that's the case, then my one heart for you is this, simply this. Stay full, stay current, stay planted. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of this time. 
Thank you for your beautiful word and what you've shown us here. And I just, I, I just, Lord, pray for those that think that Leviticus is a book to be read through as quickly as possible to say they've read through the Bible in a year. I thank you, Lord, for the beautiful things you're showing us week by week in this beautiful book. But I pray today, Lord, for those who, first of all, have known you. They've said yes to you. You have cleansed them. You have clothed them. You've even crowned them, Lord. Even though we know that there will be a crown of life yet to come. And yet now, Lord, even now you set us apart. You, you do your work among us. And yet, Lord, in all of that, we still think somehow that's just so that other people can see how awesome we are now that you've saved us. But Lord, forgive us for where we've made everything about us when you've made everything about us. We want to make everything about you now. So Lord, I just pray right now that you would do something profound in every believer here. Lord, that you would move us forward, Lord. That you would move us to that place, Lord, where we would respond, Lord, to your anointing, to your uh, atonement, Lord, by adoring you, by giving you our hearts, our love, and to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, Lord, that we would give you all of that. So Lord, please, right now, Move us to action. Whatever that is, Lord. And even if what we're just saying is, I'm available, that's the best action we can give you. We don't want to be stagnant. And we don't want to look like the rest of the world. We're not going to fit in. But Lord, we're not going to fit in so that we could be the doctor in the hospital, not just the patient. So that we could administer cure. And not just simply seek to be getting therapy all the time. So Lord, raise us up to do that which you've called us to. But even now, Lord, within this room, if there be any or many within the sound of this voice who have not accepted your gift, know today, Lord, that they need to, that they need to respond to what Jesus has done on the cross. I pray right now that you would move in their hearts. And if that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And if you at the end agree, then I ask you to give a confident, resounding amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let that prayer be my prayer. Let those words be my words. I accept Jesus today as my Lord and Savior. And here's the prayer. God, I confess I'm a sinner. And as I confess I'm a sinner, Lord, I, I, you've said that if I were to, to confess my sins, that you'd be faithful and just to forgive me my sins. But Lord, I confess to you that I'm in need of that forgiveness even like these men who laid their hands on this animal that would die, Jesus, you took my sin and died on the cross because, Father, you love me. And you've already punished everything that I've done wrong. And Jesus, to prove it was enough, you rose from the grave. And having done that, now you offer yourself to be my Savior and my Lord and my ransom payment. So I say yes. Yes to you as my Savior. Yes to you as my Lord. Have me now. Cleanse me. Clothe me in you. Make me right as I surrender. Father, I surrender myself to your cleansing and to your reinvention of me. Have me now, I pray. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.